Hello. Uh, Hi there. Welcome to uh, this new episode of Management 101. I'm your host, Max Weneker, and I have uh, Spencer Fertig joining us today, uh, who's going to tell us about uh, being a manager and all that fun stuff. So before I introduce Spencer, I want to explain why Spencer is here today, besides he was available. No, I'm totally kidding. Um, so Spencer is the CEO and co-founder of Bar None Games. Uh, he is also a good friend of mine, uh, but back in the early days of our mutual tenures at Uber, he was also my manager for a few months, uh, and we were both placed on a strike team uh, working on DC driver incentives when we both, I seem to remember, didn't have anything else to do, and they wanted to find like a home for us. Was that right? That's 100% right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were clearly very valued, um, or valuable, rather. Uh, Spencer has been consistently one of the most thoughtful and caring uh, people, as well as managers that I know. That's and so sweet. I, yeah, it's true. And as I've said, my goal with these interviews is to help others become better managers by learning from real world examples. So I've asked Spencer to join because he is one of the best managers I've worked with or for. So, well, thank you. Wow. I get crochet that crochet. <laughs> I'm buttering you up. Now I'm yeah, going to interrogate say, you. This is about to take a turn. I know where this goes. <laughs> Uh, so some background on Spencer. So um, first, Spencer grew up in what we in the Northeast think of as rural backwoods. It is called uh, New Jersey for, for those of you who are not familiar. <laughs> uh, then he uh, moved to the big city, Washington, D.C. for college, where he was, correct me if I'm wrong, the president of the co-op which is the Georgetown. I was the CFO of the Georgetown student CFO. grocery stores. Yeah. Sorry, I promoted you by accident. Yeah, I wish. Okay. <laughs> uh, spent some time in iBanking, uh, which I'm sure was thoroughly enjoyable. And then uh, you joined Uber in 2013 as an op one of the first operations manager for the city of Washington, D.C. And uh, fun fact, he interviewed me for my job as the operations manager for Baltimore uh, when I applied a year later. And uh, he almost didn't hire me uh, because at the end of the interview, despite it being for Baltimore, I asked if there were other cities uh, that uh, that I could work in. It was nothing against Baltimore. I just really wanted to fly instead of take the train. But Spencer uh, took that the wrong. Uh, but you had the broke, you had a broken arm or something, if I recall right. I think that that was what that's got true. You I had yeah. just had surgery after uh, throwing a baseball too hard. Uh, I had torn my shoulder labrum. I just had surgery and my my arm was stuck in the handshake position uh, yes. for my entire set of interviews with Uber. I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing. Management uh, tip one is always hire someone with a broken arm. Yeah, that's or certainly labrum, yeah. weeds out the pool a little bit. Um, there was a low point in Spencer's and my relationship when I accidentally stole his idea for a rider loyalty program. Accidentally. Uh, <laughs> I uh Spencer Spencer had the idea for DC and then I was like oh this is a great idea I want to roll it out for Baltimore uh but uh did not uh really think through the <laughs> didn't really think through the steps of that where I should have worked with Spencer instead of just going off of my own given it was his idea but um since that nadir as it were uh we have made a comeback and are speaking again this is our first time speaking since that moment. So <laughs> yes, listeners years in, later. in July. Yep. Nice to see you again, Max. <laughs> yeah, you too. So uh, after that uh, uh, fabled incident, uh, he went on to build uh, Uber Everywhere and then launch Uber Eats on the West Coast. 
and then finally his last role at Uber was running b- besides our strike team, of course, was uh, running the Pittsburgh market uh, for rides. You were the yeah. GM of Pittsburgh for, for, for a little bed, while yeah. there. And then, mm-hmm. uh, and then you went to HBS, which for those not in the business is a uh, Harvard business school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then since then you've been doing basically all startups, right? Yes. That's been the life over the last three and a half years. Uh, some some have done well, some not so well. And today uh, you're at one of the ones that's doing well. Uh, actually, you started it. Uh, you run Bar None Games, uh, which uh, actually, instead of me talking about what Bar, N- Bar None Games is, wanna, would you mind telling us? I'd be an honor. Um, Go yeah, Bar, Bar None Games offers live and interactive virtual, although now actually I guess it's hybrid and in-person as well. So team building events for companies that are looking to boost and sustain morale. So we have five different games we've built out. We have live professional hosts, team-based play, really focused on getting colleagues to talk and get to know each other and you know develop bonds that ideally spill over not only in the game, well, they don't spill over in the game, I guess, but spill over after the game um, you know, into sustained you know, morale and, and increased trust among team members. So it's been, it's been a blast. Uh, it is a it is a very fun uh, fun experience. Uh, I I have done it multiple times with teams of mine, and I can tell you, months later, we would still talk about the various trivia questions and and who had won and who had lost, and still shit talk. So uh, it was definitely a memorable experience, and I'm I'm proud to say as well that I was one of the test users of the original product before it even launched, and I think I've referred multiple companies to uh, bar none. If I'm is that your way of, is that your way of saying you're waiting for your referral, your referral <laughs> yeah. gift cards? Yeah, where's my Amazon gift card? <laughs> I uh no, thank you. Max, you've been a huge, you've been a huge help from day <laughs> one. So I really appreciate it. Uh I'm I'm just glad they got to have the experience. Um cool. <laughs> so uh now let's get into the the interrogation portion of the interview. Um I'd love to hear a little bit about Barn on Games. So uh you're the you're the co-founder and CEO. Um and you, you, since you started it, like what made you decide to start it? Yeah, absolutely. So I was working, the year was 2020. The pandemic had just arrived on our shores and I was working as head of operations at a series B prop tech company. And my business school's one year reunion had gone remote. And By I way, wanted- For those who are uh, less knowledgeable, what does prop tech stand for? Oh, I'm like, what is prop tech? It was technology and <laughs> like the property management space. So I was okay. working for a for a proper a tech enabled property management company. Cool. Um, sorry to interrupt. Please. No, on. sorry for using sorry for using property management technology jargon <laughs> on the pod. Um, so I, I was at that company and uh, and my business school's one year reunion went remote, and I wanted to keep my classmates connected. Uh, in some way, I was the president of my section. So I was kind of tasked with that. And I used to play bar trivia a lot, both in college and then at business school. For those who don't aren't familiar with bar trivia, it's what it sounds like. You show up to a bar with your friends and you play trivia and you like hopefully win a gift card if you're very good at trivia. And so leveraging Zoom technology and my weird trivia brain kind of created a game uh, on the fly for about 70 classmates and didn't think much of it. And then after the game, I had just a bunch of calls and text messages from classmates saying that it was the highlight of quarantine and what I hosted for their companies. Again, this is like at the peak of quarantine. It's like May 2020. Everyone is just kind of adjusting to the new world. And so I started hosting games on the side. And then within a month or so, I was doing a fair amount of business and decided to take the plunge 
to uh, to grow it into the company that it is today. Very cool. And uh, how how big is the company today in terms of uh, employees or clients? However, you measure yeah. size. We just brought on our sixth full-time employee, I guess, including myself. So Very that's cool. been really exciting. And then we have a team of over 60 hosts who are contractors, who are the face of Bar None and run our events. So yeah, the group is over uh, 60 people. We've hosted at this point close to 3,500 games over the past wow. two and a half years, uh, which is really exciting. And and I think one thing, you know, a takeaway for me, not that you asked, but was I had started <laughs> or attempted to start two startups prior to that that did not work out. And bar none was the first time where I wasn't looking for a company. I just kind of was doing something that I loved that I think people needed and it kind of grew organically from there. And so I guess it's a trite phrase, like it happens when you least expect it or when you're not looking for it or whatever some sage person said. But that was true for me. I I was just kind of solving a problem that seemed like it needed solving, bringing people together. In the I actually do think that it. applies very directly to management in terms of helping people figure out what they're best at rather than the thing that you're trying to push them into, right? Uh, totally. It's all about like, you know, the natural pathways and helping people move towards those. And I think same with entrepreneurship, right? Uh you wanting to do this specific thing versus you seeing the problem out there and trying to solve it will result, have very different outcomes. Totally. And that's kind of served me well for like doing what you love. Things will kind of, you know, when you're working on something that you love or are passionate about, I think you're going to work harder at that. You're going to be more creative and problem solving and good things will flow from that. Like I was an American studies major in college. Like what, I still don't even fully know what that was, but I knew I liked taking <laughs> courses, uh, you know, in history and English and, and, and government and whatnot. And my GPA was good because I liked the stuff I was learning. And so that's kind of applied throughout my career, like working on problems that I'm passionate about. I find that I'm naturally inclined to work harder and be more creative and kind of solve. Like we all have that opportunity to work on the things we love doing. I'm also um, ha happy to inform you that you have now grown to 6x the size of Max Weniker Consulting LLC. So congratulations on your well, torrid pace of growth. Well, you've still got two and a half years to uh Fair. to, ca to Fair. catch up. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, but one more uh, more general question before we get into some specific management topics. What is the biggest managerial challenge that you have faced as a founder? Yeah. We're starting up with toughies. Uh if <laughs> It's kind of meta because our company is designed to solve this very problem. I mean, I guess it makes sense to have a company designed to solve the problems you're facing. But even though we are designed to bring joy to the remote world, uh, my biggest challenge is managing a team remotely. So I don't know if we're getting into this today or not, but so much of, I think, how I was able to generate goodwill as a manager and and, and how I facilitate, you know, work to foster positive culture on teams was through in-person interactions, like moments that you have, you know, little moments where you show support or, you know, host culture building things. Um, and that can be tough on Zoom because I'm, bar none is a remote first company. All of my interactions with my team are normally centered around like being on Zoom and talking through like business problems or issues or growth opportunities. And so I think we've come up with a bunch of ways to bring that joy into the Zoom world, but we have to be a lot more intentional about that. And that is a challenge as it relates to my natural managerial style, which is often based on like asking people if they want to grab a coffee or a drink or just, you know, exchanging nice comments. It's harder to do in the remote world. Totally. Uh, it is hard to bring your entire team to Outback Steakhouse in a remote world. <laughs> that's, how I, that's how I maintained my NPS. It was purely Bloomin' Onion. 
Yeah, it was also not a close Outback Steakhouse to downtown Washington, D.C. It was somewhere in like deep Loudoun County, Virginia, if I remember correctly. Totally. It's a good thing we worked for a company that enabled us to order cars on demand to good take point. us to random places. Yeah, Fair enough. <laughs> All right. So now we're going to get into the uh, the management specific topics and uh, questions. And uh, I have uh, I have set this up to focus on things that I think Spencer is particularly good at. Uh, so hopefully you have some interesting answers to we'll, these questions. We'll see if I agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. to see what comes up. Uh, okay, so first topic is uh, honest feedback with empathy. Um, so this is something I think Spencer does really well as a manager, uh, giving tough feedback in a way that is both respectful and caring. I've certainly experienced this myself from uh, from Spencer, and I know other people who've reported to him have it. I think there's a hard line to toe. There are a lot of managers who end up in the, uh, as Radical Candor calls it, the ruinous empathy box, which is uh, not being honest, but also... Uh, not caring. And then there are others who sort of fall in the uh, the obnoxious aggression, which is uh, too brutally honest uh, and not caring, right? So uh, Spencer finds this happy medium between caring and also challenging directly, which is the ideal spot to be in. And so um, I'm curious if this is just something you were like born with or if this is something that developed over time. Whoa. Yeah. Well, thank you, Max, uh, for flagging that. It's, it's interesting that that's the thing that you flag my management style because at Uber in the early midday, like this was something that was called out to me that I was not good at or the, on, the, the empathy I was always good at, but the honesty I struggled with in the early days. And actually hmm. there was a time when I was up for promotion at Uber um, and I thought I was going to get it. And then I almost did not because uh, the feedback that I had provided I had submitted like two positive feedback for my team, like without calling out growth areas or, you know, giving constructive feedback and a manager who I will not name, but if they're listening to the podcast knows exactly who they are, um, <laughs> gave, gave me, gave me some feedback that in the moment stung, but I've taken, but, but ended up being very helpful going forward, which is just that, you know, in trying to fuel such a positive, fueling a positive culture doesn't mean only complimenting people and in not telling some of my reports the things that they were doing wrong or could be doing better that were top of mind, I was depriving them of the opportunity to address those and move on to the next level. Like if if I didn't say it, it didn't mean that it was also going to disappear from my head that I thought that people weren't actually doing X thing well, but it did mean that they weren't going to have the opportunity to be on the same page with me and then have the you know chance to kind of like correct that. So the I I I, I shied away from providing direct feedback until that point, and I think that that has really served me well. Again, because you have to give people the opportunity to address you know areas for growth, and many people that I've had on my teams are super capable of rising to the occasion and surpassing it as long as they're aware of what their, you know, strengths and growth areas are. Um, and then the last thing I'll say on this though is, and Max, you kind of hit the nail on the head, like pairing this with empathy is so important. I know, you know, in business school, we learned a lot of Ray Dalio radical candor philosophies. Mm-hmm. And I know there are a lot of schools of thought that are just like, be as direct as possible. And uh, I think that you can, you know, speak the truth and give people honest feedback without being like mean or overly critical. And that's something that I've just, you know, not seen a lot of managers adopt in the past and it just leads to poor team NPS, uh, you know, just an unhappy or, or fearful culture. And I think life's too short uh, to kind of be fueling those environments. Agreed. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's easy to not say anything, right? Like obviously those kind of conversations are much harder uh, 
But think about it from the direct reports perspective. They would, of course, prefer to know about these areas of development, right? Like you said, you're literally depriving them of the opportunity to improve by not telling them what they need to improve on. Um, but it's important to also not jump over to the other side of, I'm just going to say it without thinking about how I say it, because how you say it is, if anything, more important. It can either turn someone off or make them motivated. Yep, absolutely. And I've always, I always think about, I think about Barack Obama a lot, but I'm always in awe. I feel like with presidents <laughs> just in now, general like, in your brain. I just think of every day I wake up <laughs> and doesn't? I think about Barack yeah. Obama. But, um, <laughs> but I'm, I was always in awe of how after every other administration over the last 50 plus years, you know, like operatives have left and published tell all books for Democrats, for Republicans. And there were so few, if any, about Barack Obama, even though he accomplished results, you know, whether you agree with them, like I passionately do or don't. And, uh, and I feel like so much of that is just because, you know, it, it proves to me that it is not impossible to get results out of out of a team while still treating them empathetically and humanely and, and with positive vibes. Yeah, agreed. Um, you'll certainly keep them around for longer. What, uh, totally. let's say that you're a founder who's just trying to sort of find their, their voice in giving honest feedback without a you know, upsetting people unnecessarily and and really trying to motivate them instead. Uh, how how could someone replicate your approach? Yeah, I think two things for me about this approach that again did not come naturally to me, and so um, is something I've worked at over time. One is when giving this feedback is to separate the task from the person and to make sure that people that your reports know that you're kind of identifying things they can be doing better rather than making a value judgment on them as an individual. I think one, that's 90 plus percent of the time, the feedback I'm giving anyway, it's action oriented and not person oriented. And secondly, it makes the feedback a lot easier for someone to receive and want to implement um, when it doesn't feel like a value judgment against them as a person. And then the second thing is not something that I do tactically dated, uh, sorry, tactically in the moment of giving the feedback, but it's just the way that I treat people day to day is with kindness, with empathy, with the assumption of positive intent. And I think if you treat your reports well over the course of your time with them, it it enables them to know that you're coming from a good place when you give this feedback. And so when I give this feedback, I think my reports know that I'm doing this because I want them to get to the next level and because we're working together on a mission that we're passionate about and not because it makes me happy to like put people down or give direct. Or you want to hold them back for some reason. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's definitely right. Building that trust enables you to have that conversation. So it's almost like if, if the first time you're thinking about this is when you need to have this conversation, you've already lost, right? Totally, like, totally. You need to have spent time building trust and building relationships such that that person can hear you for what you're trying to say and not make a, bad assumptions around your intentions. For and sure. I, uh, and Mac, oh, you go. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, please. Okay, I'll go. Uh, no, and, and no, but <laughs> the thing you're what the thing you're saying is also reminding me is you know, making sure that these things, like no one, and I think it's the stuff that's been mentioned before, but no one should be surprised on a performance review by anything that they're reading. And if they are, that's your fault as a manager. And so yes. also making sure that you're holding regular one-on-ones with your team members or that you are, that the leaders reporting to you are host holding one-on-ones with, you know, their team members so that Absolutely. nothing is catching anyone by surprise, you know, at the end of the year and that they have time to kind of work on the things that you're flagging. 
Absolutely. Yeah. If it's just happening at the end of the year, then they didn't even have really time to correct it. It's more just like a documentation exercise, um, which is not helpful for anyone. Um, the other thing that you said is focusing on uh, the action rather than the person. Like I'm separating what happened from who you are, right? I, I really like the approach of saying this is what happened rather than you did this, right? Like is it, it helps people not feel accused. If I, if I say, Spencer, you really pissed me off. Well, your, your like nervous system is going to kind of go into overdrive by default, right? Because totally. you're going to feel a threat. Whereas, as, whereas if I say, Spencer, that text made me really upset. Well, now it's not you doing it. It's the text message. And sure, maybe you sent that text message, but it's this text message that's causing me problems, not Spencer directly. And those two statements are very different, even if they seem similar. A hundred percent. I'm going to have watch you, out for those text messages. No, tell you. <laughs> I use everything you kind of say every the things you package it so much better than when it comes out of I guess that's why you're host, I guess that's why you're the podcast host well no it's why I speak second so I get to I get to summarize <laughs> rather than stay from the beginning you're the originator okay we're gonna do an exercise now um okay I would love for you to give me some honest but hopefully caring uh feedback uh so okay. I, I have an example in mind uh I, you have mentioned in the past that uh, I post on LinkedIn a lot, uh, and uh, in jest. Let's, <laughs> no, well, let's use it as an it. example anyway. Now, let's say you are uh, the owner of Max Weniger Consulting LLC. We've now doubled our staff size to two, and I am reporting to you. Uh, you think that me posting on LinkedIn is hurting my ability to focus on whatever it is that you need me to actually be doing as an employee. Can you give me this feedback in a way that uh, keeps me motivated? I'm going to try. I guess you'll be the judge of that. Let me think. So <laughs> I'll let you know how motivated well, I am afterward or for closing up shop permanently. Please, please, please do. I, mean, I, I don't also, I don't think there's like one tried and true way to approach this. I think part, you know, there are definitely core tenants I have of my management philosophy. And one of those tenants, honestly, is just like, make sure I'm coming from a good place and that my team members know I'm coming from a good place. And if something works great, and if not, like we can pivot, like most stuff isn't like firmly set in stone. So for the record here, I think for your business, like the posting makes sense and is great. I too post a lot on LinkedIn. Thank you for not withholding some of your judgment there. So I can fully empathize as a small business owner. Um, but I'm going to dive enough. into this question. I'm going to accept the premise and dive in anyway. <laughs> okay. um, so I think the, thing, I don't know if we're doing full role play here, but I would ask questions to understand why you're posting on LinkedIn. I think a thing that also did not come naturally to me in the beginning that one of my Uber managers really instilled in me was the assumption of positive intent and making sure that's like front of mind. So before I went into cease and desist mode, I would ask you why you're doing it and see if your reason resonates um, okay. with me. So you're, you're just, you're, you're thinking that there may be something that you don't know that uh, I'm going to communicate to you. Yeah, maybe there's something I'm missing. And I do think a little bit here, it also, man uh, what matters? What matters is potentially the seniority of the person that you're managing. So if I am like at a director or senior director level, managing directors or senior managers who have years of experience, like there is a good chance or a solid chance that they know something about the thing that they're dealing with that I don't. I guess in this case, it's Max Wenerkens pure Consulting, but say we've hit the six FTE thing and it's not just one, like maybe you're a lot more knowledgeable about an area of the business than I am. And you know something that I don't know. I think if I'm a manager managing an analyst or an associate, 
who is newer and might not have as much, you know, expertise, maybe I would be a little less, you know, lenient here. But um, but for managing, you know, mid-level managers, I would want to know if you know something that I don't. So that would be one. Um, but say you don't. Fair. Say yeah. Say say, say you don't. I know do, nothing. <laughs> right. Or your reason doesn't resonate. So number one is assume positive intent and give you the room. Say your reason doesn't resonate, though. I think part B would be me saying something like, you know, look, Max, like, are we aligned on the main goal? At, at hand here, which I presume is to help as many people as possible while growing a profitable business. And if we are, I'd say, Max, you know, you and I, because we're in business together, we both care about work-life balance. So we're going to like work hard and we're going to be working for, you know, 40, 45 hours a week. Uh, and then beyond that, you know, we're, we're not, we're, we're not working for like 80, 90 hours a week. So it's not like we can run every single possible growth avenue to ground. And in that world where we have like a finite use of time and resources, I think that working on thing X, which would literally be anything other than posting on LinkedIn <laughs> could be more valuable than the way you're spending your time right now. So can you try a few weeks of focus on X rather than posting on LinkedIn? Let's agree on what metric we're looking to move. And then let's circle back here in two weeks or a month or whatever, a reasonable and not excessive time is to kind of focus on. It's almost like setting up an experiment, right? To yeah. prove out uh, what I think is right. And then we can come back and and assess. And the last thing I'll say there, because I'm already sick of the sound of my own voice, is that <laughs> there are very there are a few moments where I, I'm really experienced and feel very certain of something. And there, I think, you know, as a manager, maybe it behooves you to speak declaratively so that you can save everyone time. But even in the feedback I'm giving you right now, like I, what, what it's aimed at doing is creating joint ownership of this process. Like I trust you. I also have a hunch. Let's test this out together and then we'll revisit it. And if I'm wrong, I'm more than willing to own up to the fact that I'm wrong and we can resume LinkedIn posting or try to find an option Z that works better. Yeah, I, I like that. It's, it's leaving it open-ended to, hey, I'm not 100% certain of the result, but I do want to change courses and see how it goes rather than I know what you're doing is wrong and I know what I want you to do is right. And those yeah. two things are going to be received very differently. I get to now respond and say, okay, like we'll try it the way that you want me to do it and we'll see how it goes rather than if Spencer thinks I'm doing bad and I need to stop, right? Um, yeah. So the, the outcome of changing the course of action is the same, but you kept me engaged and excited. And I, I'm happy to report I will not be closing the business now. You, yeah, I was going to ask you, Max, on the receiving end, like, does that resonate or would something have resonated more? Like, how would you respond to feedback like that? Yeah, I mean, I think I um, I, sir, I personally benefit a little bit from the the feedback sandwich uh, which I know is generally considered a uh, a no no, but for me, just receiving only critical feedback uh, makes me, even if the, this is not the manager's intention, sometimes can make me assume that like I've done something really wrong. Yeah. Um, and so I like receiving some positive feedback on either side, just to say like, hey, like things are there are good things too going on. Um, yeah, other people really prefer it quite directly. I think you actually sort of like towed the line between those two things well so i i've i felt okay about it um i felt like you were not saying hey posting on linkedin is a bad idea you're just saying there might be better uses of your time which i you know it's hard for me to argue with uh and we're gonna get data just to, to see how it goes yeah and i think you're right max i mean the key to management is knowing that there's not a one-size-fits-all philosophy totally. and being in tune with your reports to understand which prefer autonomy 
or feeling like they have a hand in the process. And there are some reports who are just going to be like, I, I like following instructions and executing on those. And I just need a clear yeah, roadmap. Tell me what and to do. Totally. And for those reports, maybe I would be a bit more direct in like, a, let's put LinkedIn posting to the side and do option B for X weeks. And then let's kind of circle back up. Right. Yeah. If I, there are some people who've reported to me who, if I gave them the feedback sandwich, they'd be like, just tell me what's wrong. Right. Yeah. And they'd want me to get to the point. And so, yeah, definitely important to uh, keep that, that how the individual wants to receive that feedback in mind. All right. Last question on, uh, on honest and empathetic feedback. Tell me about a time that you received non-empathetic feedback and it demotivated you. Yeah. Um, I, for my first two years at a bank, uh, I had a boss who I'm, who I since I'm since on, on, on good terms with, but in, in those moments of their career, uh, managed through a lot of just yelling and putting people down. Uh, and so it was basically two years and I, it was kind of interesting. I'm self-deprecating Max, as you know, the listeners may not know. So I don't normally compliment myself, but I was a good performer at this bank like i was i my performance review i was like in the top bucket and yet i would get screamed at on an open pit floor every single day for two years which had really negative effects on my mental health my physical health my sense of self-worth and i just remember feeling probably your so hearing as well <laughs> exactly what'd you say probably um, your hearing my what <laughs> well i got played. you sorry oh, God, yeah, yeah. well yeah, very well played i'm gonna go home now yeah exactly and that's the episode but um <laughs> i i i it's a top five moment of my life in resonance, not in happiness. And I just remember feeling <laughs> so strongly if I'm ever in a position where I'm managing someone or people in the future, I will never make them feel the way that I feel now. And that has been what was a very negative experience has been my single guiding light as a manager in the decade that has passed since that. And that I will carry with me, you know, until my, my dying day or my last work day, which I hope are not the same day. Um, but Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to die doing what you love, huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah I mean, I got unless it's uh, unless it's Hosting eating, online cheese, unless it's eating cheese fries. Yeah, exactly. If you can get paid for that, fries. that's another yeah, story. Um, yeah, I, that's a that's a great example. Um, I yeah, I, it, unless you work in a very high noise environment or in a sporting environment, I don't really see any reason for yelling. Um, uh, I, I can't, I can't recall a time where I've yelled at a direct report, nor would, would I ever wish to. Um, I don't think I can recall a time where a manager has yelled at me, nor would I, nor would I ever think it was appropriate. Uh, and I think this example is a really good one because you said like, you know, I got to know this person more later on and like, we are on good terms and you think of them as a good person. I'm guessing you didn't necessarily feel that way at the time. And, uh, is that right? Yeah. And I think this person's grown since then. Um, but yes, no, I did not. I did not. If you're so, listening, like, I'm I, sorry, if, but it wasn't cool. <laughs> well, you did wasn't cool and you know it. Um, I, you know, you might be thinking to yourself as a manager, like, oh, I'm, I'm a good person. Like uh, my team knows that. And it's very possible for the perception of you to be different than who you are. And uh, bridging that gap is really important. I say two other really quick things there and uh, or just that spring to mind. One is just that this man, I'm now older, I'm 33. Um, and that manager was in their late 20s at the time. And I do think that there is this feeling among mid-level managers that if you, or among some, that you can somehow convey strength and conviction through yelling or being forceful. 
And I think that's a no-no. Um, and, and, and does more harm than good. And the second thing I'd say is as harmful as being yelled at by this person every day, and that's not hyperbole like I was, um, was the fact that we sat on an open pit floor of hundreds of people and no one ever intervened. There was like this complicitness as if huh. like that was acceptable and could be, ex- you know, and was, was an okay way to treat people. And so the other thing I think as a manager is not just what you owe your team, but, you know, if you're seeing something, not appropriate go down in the workplace saying something yeah sure yeah the old tsa refrain i i totally agree with that um sometimes it's really difficult for the the victim in these situations to be able to speak up right um so couldn't agree more i think you and i are both uh on a personal note very uh large big proponents of of therapy and i i like you know i've looked at a lot of managers in my past and thought I think a lot of people in management positions could probably benefit from some therapy, right? If someone is uh, using yelling as the technique to motivate their team or direct their team, like that came from some form of interaction in their childhood that they've decided is appropriate. And like, if we could just like dig that up a little bit and, and help everyone get to a better place with their mental health, a lot less of that would happen, right? Totally. You are screaming. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you're screaming at me. I think this is not about the bullet point that I just put next to the stock <laughs> right. price chart right now. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't think the size 13 versus size 12 font was really what's at, at the heart of this issue. Um, new topic. Okay. Positive shake. team culture. Yeah, yeah. Shake it out. Shake it yeah, off this will be less topic, interrogative, yeah. I think. Um, okay. So Spencer, you uh, you have another unique skill, which is your ability to make people enjoy themselves. Uh, and uh, one of one of the things you already mentioned that you do is a lot of self deprecating humor. Um, and if you're listening to this podcast, you've heard some of his one liners, some more witty than others. Uh, and I think it's it's hard to find someone on a team of Spencers that doesn't enjoy that environment. And certainly, if you look around, just anyone thinks of all the teams they've worked on. They're not all enjoyable environments. So someone like Spencer, who consistently creates an enjoyable environment, is is, is very unique. Um, so let's start with just the broader picture. There are a lot of managers who are just focused on the work and a lot less than you on the experience the people are having within their team. What would you say to that? Yeah, I would say two things. One is during my time at uber like when i was in a general management role or a senior manager role overseeing teams the stat that i was single most concerned about was my manager nps so for anyone not familiar nps is net promoter score um where they ask people a question i think it was like would you recommend someone work for spencer and if someone ranked it on a scale of one to ten or zero to ten if someone ranked it a nine or ten they were a promoter if it was like a zero through six they were a detractor if they ranked you a seven or eight, it was neutral, and they would take your promoters and subtract your detractors. And if you want to learn more, Google NPS. But the point is that it was a metric to gauge, you know, whether how well your team, you know, would recommend you or liked you. Um, and so my lowest, I was a 25, 26 year old manager at Uber, and my lowest NPS score was a 72. And I and I didn't have a detractor and I and it would range between like 72 and low 80s. And it was over double the average Uber, Uber manager. And um, I, 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 it even gets uncomfortable for me, for me to say positive things about myself. <laughs> like I, yeah, that's something I struggle with. Um, but I was laser focused on this and, uh, and our, our team, I know, cause I remember outperformed other markets on revenue and, and, and new users each week and blah, blah, blah. But I can't tell you any of those numbers. Like all I remember is my NPS. So the two things that I would say to managers is one, there is a hugely 
indirect and direct impact that comes from your team enjoying working for you because it does make them not have the Sunday scaries and be excited or at the very least not dreading coming to work on Monday. That will spill over into the work that they do, uh, which will, if you are a good manager and directing people to work on the right things, will spill over into positive business results. So one is like how you treat people is absolutely related um, to how you know your your team performs, uh, you know, on the business metric. The second thing I would say is even if you don't buy that, if you're like Spencer, that doesn't resonate with me. Um, we're you know, I disagree, but you, you know, you're, you know, it's a, we I respect all opinions. Um, but I would also just say that like there's more to life that, than work, and that is something I just feel so in my bones. Like life is short, and I really feel like work doesn't love you back, but people do. And you know, the moment for me where this really clicked was I spent four years at Uber. It was an amazing experience. I learned so much, was given so much growth opportunities, and I left Uber on May first. And I thought I would get to keep my credits like for the month. And by May 2nd, like, I, and I also kind of thought like in my head, like all the cars would stop working. Like I was such a fundamental part. It was so hard for me to picture Uber running. <laughs> you, which yeah, sounds... the dispatch wouldn't happen because it was just you, you know, marionette puppeteering cars and, dri and drivers That's and people. I know. Someone should have Mike Isaac interview me. But I, what, what, what <laughs> like, you, I mean, as I say it, it sounds like kind of egotistical. Um, and then you wake up on May 2nd and every, you know, you order an Uber and every car's working and I'm Uber pooling my butt around DC. Um, but all of these, so the business keeps running and, and has been around and will outlive me, uh, hopefully. Um, but my friendships, you know, at my wedding six months ago, what, there were probably 15 people from Uber there yep. and those friendships, you know, and those people sustain me. So, um, there's just more to life than, than, uh, business results and relationships wow. are one of those. I was only personally there for the great Italian food that was served, but sure, point well taken. Um, and I agree with you. My Angelo said, you, people won't remember what you did, but they'll remember how you made them feel. And I think that's absolutely right. You know, when people interview me and they ask me about my Uber experience, like in a job interview, for example, I sometimes have a hard time remembering the exact metrics that we achieved in terms of number of rides or number of drivers or whatever it was, right? But I very vividly remember my experiences with my managers and my teams and that, and of course, those relationships last a lot longer and are far more impactful to me as an individual and as a professional than, you know, whether we achieved 100,000 of this or 110,000 of that. So totally agree. Now, let's say you're a manager and uh, you now agree with, Let's say that there is a manager who what before was like, nah, I'm not about the people. And now they've heard you speak and they've heard the gospel and they're like, oh man, I really need to like engage my team and build a better team culture. What are some easy ways that a manager could go about doing that from scratch? Yeah. Well, first off, I would say to any of those managers, I'd say welcome to the April 4th club as Maya, <laughs> Angela, and I were both born on April 4th. Wow. Okay. That's yeah. a fun fact. Fun fact. Um, so yeah, so a few a few quick tactical tips that kind of come to mind. First is just being willing to get in the trenches with your team and show that you're willing to do like some of the grunt work. It one uh, makes you a more accessible manager, but two gets you a lot more in touch with the problems that your team is facing, so that you're not out of touch when you're asking for things. I think team members will say one of the worst things is when a boss asks you to do something without any sense of how much time that's going to take. And so the more you're willing to yeah. Get in there. Yeah, uh, I think I think gives you a makes you seem not disconnected or like delusional. Absolutely. Two, obviously from the CEO of Barn None Games, but you've got to make time <laughs> for team building. Um, shameless even plug. The bar shameless plug, exactly. Barnungames.com. <laughs> you can self-serve book within under two minutes. Uh, 
But, but I mean, I, the reason I started this company is because I believe that like in my bones and I remember on the Uber Everywhere team or the DC team or whatever, all the teams I ran at Uber, like consciously setting aside time for days or after work activities to celebrate key metrics or milestones that we hit as a team, as well as like when I was working late nights with the team, you know, saying like, well, everyone want to grab a drink or uh, just making or go making sure I ate lunch with the team to really have those moments to connect outside of the work. Um, Third thing I would say, and we mentioned this earlier, Max, is just making sure you hold regular one-on-ones with your team to check in. And more than that, or as much as that, is making sure those one-on-ones build off the previous one-on-ones to show that you're listening to what your reports are saying and progressing with them. So like I, you know, would keep pretty diligent notes in my weekly one-on-ones with report with the reports. And when we would come into the next one-on-one, we would pick up with where we left in the last one-on-one. So it didn't feel like people were just showing up to just say stuff and check something off a list, but we were real, really tracking progress on both tactical business goals as well as professional development. And the last thing I would say is the importance for me of giving your team what I call structured autonomy. So laying forth a vision that everyone in your team is bought into and excited about, having each person on your team know how their work is going to feed into the ability to achieve said vision, and then giving people the autonomy within those bounds to run with it and not just be carrying out, you know, executing on like an extremely tactical checklist so they just feel like a a trained monkey. And so uh, those are a few things I think people could do off the bat to build an engaging team culture. Those are all fantastic. Uh, I think what you said about one-on-one documentation is weirdly important. Um, I can tell you having had experiences with managers that did not keep notes around like what we talked about and managers who came to my one-on-one with an agenda and tracking items that we discussed last time, the feeling that I had of how important I was, was very different, right? In one, in one, it's just like, okay, it's whatever I want to talk about. And like, this manager doesn't really care. And the other it's this manager is clearly engaged and wants to continue the progress or make progress on what we've been working on the entire time. Um, and I think the the other thing is around structured autonomy. It's, it's you know, there's very little that's more demotivating than, than being told exactly what to do, right? Yeah. Uh, if I'm just here to click a button in the way that you told me to click that button, uh, that's really unenjoyable and not yep. very fulfilling and you're gonna have a lot of turnover on the team or certainly just like very low engagement and they're not going to go the extra mile. But uh, when you say not here's how to get this done, but rather just here's where we need to get to. And I'm going to support you and you figuring out how we get there. You know, you as a manager defining the what and not the how, then you're giving the autonomy to the team to say, okay, like I'm the, I'm the one who knows the most and I can figure out how yep. to get this done. You know, it's, it's a lot like parenting in some ways. Like if you micromanage your child, like they're never going to learn anything and they're certainly not going to be very happy. Whereas if you say like, you know, let's figure out how to get where you're going together. Uh, that's a very different interaction and a very different relationship that you have with that person. Totally. Couldn't agree more. Cool. Um, all right. Last question here. Have you ever had a manager that was really amazing at uh building a positive team culture what do they do yeah now i get to not speak on people in code leah raber <laughs> i hope you're out there um leah raber was a manager that i had at uber who uh was my manager when i was launching uber eats markets out west and just yeah i mean just kind of taught me uh this concept of structured autonomy and 
how to hold awesome one-on-ones, just, you know, showed up to our meetings every week, super prepared, built on our previous conversations. Also just asked, like, I think that when sometimes managers, I think can try to flex in these meetings and try to prove that they're smart or they'll give you like lectures on why you're wrong or whatever. And Leah would just ask these short, powerful questions, which I also think is a great managerial technique to help people like unlock within themselves the answers rather than just kind of dictating answers to people um, was, you know, would go out with me for coffees and lunches and and, and drinks, um, which again, isn't saying that as a manager, you need to like constantly dine with your coworkers, but just put, <laughs> put, in, put in the work to make me feel like she cared about me as a person, not just as an employee. Um, and uh, yeah, gave me the ability to roam within a, a set of bounds, you know, that I knew what I was doing and just she uh, she inspired me to kind of try to grow into the manager that I'm trying to become. So Leah Raber, wherever you are, thank you. I know I'm not the only one who feels that way. And uh, that's amazing. You're awesome. Yeah, um, yeah. It, the the point you made around managing the whole person is a really important one. I think uh, there are a lot of ways to be a good manager. There are also, of course, a lot of ways to be a really terrible manager. But one of the consistent ways that I've never heard anyone do otherwise is in being a good manager, some of what you need to do is understand that this person is not just a producer of widgets in the context of your work hours, right? Uh, This person also has a personal life and feelings and experiences that happen outside the workplace that dramatically impact how they act and perform professionally. And you are only going to be successful as a manager insofar as you understand that about them and demonstrate interest in that. Now, that's not to say you need to like dig into the details of their personal lives, but uh, creating a space where there is the opportunity to interact as human beings and not just professionals is definitely yep. important. Yep, absolutely. Another person we this will only be relevant to me and Max and maybe a few people, but our friend Annalisa is probably one of the best managers that I've ever. That's exactly seen who I was so, thinking of. Annalisa Rosenfeld. Very few people who I feel like I we got hired in the same week, and then there was like a moment where I was working for her, and anyone else, I feel like this would have like destroyed me, and it was like the most enjoyable managerial experience of my life. So she's. I don't know, just feels like a relevant place to call her out also is a great example. Annalise is a fantastic manager. She she was mine as well uh, for a short period of time on the Maryland team. Uh, And uh, yeah, I I have sent many people her way who were looking for a good manager at Uber. Totally. Um, We had a whole other topic, but we have only three minutes. So I'm going to skip it and just... uh, take a step back for a moment and just um, ask like what is and by the way I'm putting you totally on the spot and didn't even give you this question in advance to think about remotely so it's okay if you have no answer we'll just cut it out entirely of the podcast we'll just have this I'm mad mad at you that now people know I had some of the other questions in advance (laughs) I think that's pretty normal (laughs) it's so it's so normal my genius was premeditated Oh, by the way, before we get to that, uh, one other thing you mentioned was around uh, asking questions of your direct reports. There's a great book called The Coaching Habit, whose whole premise is your job as a manager is to ask questions, not give answers, right? Uh, Your job as a manager is to help other people figure things out, not tell them what to do. And there are seven questions that unlock uh, people's brains. And the the first one is just what's on your mind. So I really like starting a a one-on-one with that. Just like what's on your mind? Because instead of saying like, what do we need to talk about? It's just opening up and saying, tell me what's going on in your brain. 
And then um, instead of saying, okay, I know how to solve that problem. The question is like, how, what are some options for how we could solve that problem? And then you're asking them to solve it. And they probably have a lot better ideas than you do because they have a lot more context than you do. Totally. I'm uh, writing that down myself. The, the coach, I'm ordering this right after this podcast. Oh man, I wish I had a referral it. link. I feel like I've mentioned this multiple times in in my podcast. Uh, should really reach out to the author. It's a great book. Um, anyway, uh, let's uh, let's say for a moment that uh, a manager comes to you and is like, just like I, I have no idea how to be a good manager. Like, what's well, just like one thing that I can do to better connect with my team, or like just start being a good manager? Um, my NPS scores are very negative, and I want to change that. What would I say? I mean. People, I think I use the, I'd say people first, or I, I mean, I would say I would repeat the line that I said, which is just that work doesn't love you back. People do. Um, and I think anything you can do to just focus on cultivating positive relationships in a work context with your reports and trusting that that is the right way to live life and will spill over into positive business effects will get you, you know, kind of on the right foot. I like that. Also, you get the side benefit of potentially being invited to their wedding. So not about yeah. I know it, that should there's be there's literal manager. incentive. Right. So there you go. Every manager, your goal <laughs> should be invited to each of your reports weddings. <laughs> All right. Well, we are out of time. Uh thank you, uh, Spencer Ferding, for for joining me today. Uh appreciate all of your insight on being a great manager. And uh, if we can replicate you a little bit out there in the world, we'll have a lot more good managers. So thank you. For sharing your Thank wisdom. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so proud of you, Max, and this podcast. And uh can't wait to be invited back for part two. I'm sure the uh <laughs> the listeners. We have a whole topic we haven't gotten to that. yet. Exactly. All right. Enjoy your uh, uh your week and good luck on getting Taylor Swift tickets. Yeah, prayers up. <laughs> See ya.